Father, that is true. There is one name that is to be exalted over all. The name of your Son, our Savior, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is that name that we exalt today. It is Jesus Christ that we declare that death has been defeated, the grave is overcome, And for those who have called on his name, repented of their sin, and declared him the Lord and Savior of their lives, they are free. They may walk in the newness of life. May that happen here today again, Lord. Please, God, come and continue to manifest your presence among us. We need you so much. Whatever distractions have happened this week, we choose right now. Whatever conversations we've had, whatever things have been done to us, whatever events have gone on, we just cast those at the foot of the cross right now. Would you remove every ounce of distraction from this room? That we would hear your word and eagerly, joyfully humble ourselves under it and say, Lord, change me. You are worthy of my attention right now, Jesus. You are worthy of my praise. Help me to hear what you would say to me today, for this is why you've brought me. In Jesus' name, if church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, happy Easter, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Verses 1 to 10. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. If you do not have a copy of God's word in front of you, our ushers are coming forward right now. Just put your hand up. We want to put a copy of God's word in front of you. It's on page 487 of those Bibles that are being handed out. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, please keep that as a gift so you can continue to study and grow and know the Lord Jesus Christ at home. Well, today we look at the event that is, here's a big statement, nothing less, nothing less than the greatest moment in all of history. There's been a lot of big moments in history. The Leafs could win tonight. (laughs) Emphasize the could. They could, and they could win a series. It's a big moment, pales in comparison. We've seen a lot of big moments in the world, but nothing, I will say that, nothing compares to this truth that we declare today. And this isn't just some act of fiction. This is historically proven. The resurrection happened. And nothing compares to this. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And some may, some may ask here, what does that even mean? Maybe you've been brought here by a family member or a friend. You're like, man, I just want some free lunch out of this deal. Why did I come? And you're asking the question, what does it even mean that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Because my fear is many of us here, they understand the what of Easter. I understand this guy, Jesus came, he died on a cross, and then he was rose again. But do we understand the why? Do we understand the why of Christ's death? Do we understand the why of the resurrection? Because we're asking the question, should it really have any impact on how I live my life? Is it even true? Why is this even important? Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. If the, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened, if it is not true, then everything that we're doing right here doesn't matter. We are to be pitied. This, why do we gather here? Why do we come and plant a church? What, what, it's all in vain. In fact, the Bible tells us this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the Apostle Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, resurrected, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. Because the very epicenter of Christianity itself is the resurrection. It's what gives us the power to live. It is the power that defeated death and sin for all time. And if it's not true, this is all in vain. I'm preaching a massive lie to you right now if this isn't true. Here's the other side of that. If it is true, what if it is true? And here it is. Everything in your life depends on how you respond to it. Everything. Both in your life now and where you will spend eternity. Everything depends on this moment right here and how you respond to it. See, but there's a problem. And the problem is this. This world we live in says you can believe whatever you want to believe. What's true for you is true for you. You ever heard this? What's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. You can just believe whatever you want. Truth can actually be whatever you make it. Loved ones, let's just put that to rest. We don't honestly believe that. And, and, and with that thinking, let's just take a look around for a moment. Um, how's that working for us as a society? This whole truth can be whatever you make it. There is no absolute truth. There's no absolute king or sovereign authority. How's it working for us? I mean, just do a little, a little examination. Is there more peace or conflict in the world? Is there uh, more hope being cultivated in the world or fear? How's that working for us, loved ones? Just, just turn on the news. Is there more unity in the world or division? How's it working? Is there more joy in the world or anger? You see, look around. We live in a broken and divided world that is crying out for a savior. That is crying out for a savior, but rejecting the very savior that came to rescue it. 
And the result is we end up living lives that seek the victory, the power, the peace, the hope, the forgiveness and freedom that Jesus Christ came to give us through his resurrection. But we start to seek it in other things. We start to seek it in our possessions. If I just get enough stuff, then I'll be delivered and I'll be satisfied. We start to seek it in relationships. If I just get a spouse, if I just have kids, if I just get along with it, then I'll be satisfied. I'll be delivered. We start to seek it in our money. We start to seek it in entertainment. We start to seek it in other religions. But here's the reality. All of them come up empty because they can't deliver it. And we're increasingly asking the question, is there any hope? Flicked on the news this week and looked at all these things. That question came up over and over and over again in those articles. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? What hope do we have? And the answer is, do we have any hope? And the answer is a resounding yes. And our hope has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's alive. And today in our text, we will see three truths of the resurrection that we must embrace. That is not an overly strong word. Must embrace. If we are to live in the life-giving and life-saving power and hope of Jesus Christ through his resurrection, not just now, but into eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Easter, Resurrection Sunday. To honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read together. Matthew chapter 28, verses one to 10. The resurrection. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, see, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and his power has been displayed. He has authority over all authority over all. And the question that this truth confronts us with from the first part of this text, loved ones, is this. Jesus Christ is over all. Will I recognize his authority? Will I recognize his authority? Look at verses one to four again. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. What an awesome picture. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Let's get some context here. 
This is the time of the Passover festival in Jerusalem. Where they, Israel, all of the Jewish people celebrate the deliverance from Egypt through the Red Sea that God delivered them from. And this is the yearly Passover feast that they are celebrating. But here's the thing. Everybody's kind of on edge because this man named Jesus has just been crucified. And they're worried about riots and there's this tension going on in the city. Christ was crucified on Friday. Why? Because he claimed he was the son of God. He claimed what they say was a blasphemous claim that he was the Messiah. And he's been dead and buried and now it is the Sunday morning. That's the first day of the week that you see in verse one, the first day of the week. But after seeing Jesus, put yourself in the women's shoes here. After seeing Jesus killed on the cross and buried in the tomb three days earlier, Two women who were his followers, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, are now on their way back to the tomb to finish anointing his body for burial. It was a Jewish custom that they would anoint the body to offset the smell of the decaying corpse. All right, And, and they were in a rush to get Jesus buried because they had to get him buried before the Sabbath. And so they wasn't done. And so here they go, going back to the tomb. And what does this tomb look like? I love this. I used to live in Jerusalem. And this is the garden tomb where they believe Jesus Christ was buried. And if it's so sobering when you sit outside there and you stand outside that empty tomb. You walk in and there's a sign there. It says, he is not here. He is risen. And so here they are, literally stationed right in front The sun is coming up on this Sunday morning over 2,000 years ago, right here, right here. And we have to understand, as you look at that picture, these women had just seen Jesus die and they had lost all hope of him being their savior. Utter confusion, utter sorrow, utter pain. But in verses two to three, we see that when they arrive at the tomb, there is a great earthquake That happens. Now, live in the text, loved ones. The Greek word for great there is this, megos. We got our English paraphrase of that, mega, from there. There's a megos earthquake. We're not talking about a little tremor and wind blowing. We're talking about the earth splitting apart by divine power. How do we know it's divine power? Keep reading. Verse two, and behold, there's a great earthquake. Here's why. For an angel of the Lord descended. Awesome. This is a divine power that is coming and splitting the earth in front of them, in front of this tomb. It means a great earthquake in the widest sense. Megos is beautiful. Then, if that's not enough, the angel of the Lord The word angel there, by the way, means a messenger who is sent by God to execute his purposes. We're not talking about a little cherubim with a bow and arrow and little curls and like little tiny wings and like baby face and a little arrow with a heart on the end shooting. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an angel of the Lord. Power, authority from God given to them as his messengers to proclaim his message and execute his purposes. And notice what he does. Notice who he is. His clothing is shining like lightning. That's the symbol of power. It's shining like lightning, but also it's as white as snow, the symbol of purity, the symbol of holiness. And he comes down from heaven. He goes to this tomb. And what does he do? 
rolls the stone, and if that's not enough, jumps up. Hey, ladies. I got this. You know that mega stone? You think that's any, any chance whatsoever against divine power? Yeah, God made the stone. That's awesome. He sits on it as the picture of authority. He sits down. Love it. But notice this in verse four. Let's read it again. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. See, when the Roman guards who had been stationed at the tomb to keep out Jesus' followers from stealing the body, when they encounter this angel, this messenger of God, it says they trembled. That means they were thrown into a tremor and were so fearful and traumatized at the sight of this messenger of God with the divine power of God that he carried, they fell unconscious and became like dead men. Now just, just live in this text, little summary of what just happened. Uh, the earth literally starts to crack open under the power of God. The messenger from God comes down, moves the stone, and you can barely look at him. Live in the text. You can barely look at him because of his power and because of his light. And then if that's not enough, you see the guards fall face down, paralyzed, traumatized. Now, we have to understand this, loved ones. You say, oh, kind of wimpy guards. (laughs) Hold on. These were battle-hardened, ruthlessly trained soldiers of the Roman Empire. The Roman army was the most feared army in the entire world because of how they trained their soldiers. The Roman army, let's drill down, symbolized the pinnacle of man's power at that time. Ruthless, could take anything they want, do anything. No one touched a Roman soldier. And the men, if that wasn't enough, the men that guarded the tomb had been selected specifically by the rulers to make the tomb as secure as possible. Verse 65 tells us that. They were selected specifically, Pilate says, to make it as secure as possible. In other words, The Roman guards, they're not sending out their junior varsity team for this one. The best of the best, creme de la creme, fiercest of the fiercest, power of man. Yet in a manner of seconds, the power of God breaks open the earth, rolls away the boulder, and they're so traumatized, they fall unconscious. And you may ask, well, how is this even possible? How is this possible? These ruthless soldiers who'd seen bloodshed after bloodshed, fearless, fall traumatized. Here's why. Because it was the Lord's power and authority they were face to face with. And not the power of man. It was the Lord's power and authority they were face to face with and they trembled. You say, well, the Lord. Great, so the Lord's got power. You know that word Lord there? The angel of the Lord in verse two, it says. When it's talking about the Lord, here's what the Greek word for Lord means. The ruler of the universe who has supreme 
authority, and uncontested power. You think a stone's a match for him? You think the earth being together is a match for him? You think a Roman legion of guards is a match for him? Uncontested power. Authority over all. This is the power of the one who has authority over all things. What he says goes, and when he shows up, the contest is over. So who's the Lord? How do you know Jesus is the Lord? That's a great question. Luke, the gospel of Luke gives a, a parallel account of this event right here in Luke 24. And verses 2 to 3 say this. And they, that is the two Marys, found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of who? 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 Who's the Lord? The Lord Jesus. Authority over Jesus is the one with all the authority, not you or me. Not the Romans, not even death itself. Jesus is the one with all of the power. That's why Matthew 28, 18, just keep moving along Matthew 28. Jesus is in front of about 500 of his disciples and he says this. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, Matthew 28, 18, I love that. See, Jesus is not intimidated by some stone. He's not intimidated by some select battle-hardened soldiers sent to keep his purpose from happening. Why? Because Jesus has all the authority and Jesus always has the final say. Jesus has all authority and he always has the final say. I love this. We see this in Ephesians 1, 21 to 22. You'll see it on the screen. It says, far above all rule and authority, far above the authority you think and I think we have on our own lives, far above any authority this world has ever had or ever will have, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. That is eternity. And he put all things under his feet. All things. Loved ones, there is only one authority that will not fail. There is only one authority that has overcome even death itself, and that is the authority of Jesus Christ. And we are confronted with this so profoundly here, and the question that we must ask ourselves today is this. I don't know where you're coming from, But we're confronted with this question, and it is this. Will you recognize Jesus' authority and that he is Lord over all? Jesus has ultimate authority. Who are we recognizing as the authority? Maybe some of us are here and we're like, I'm the authority over my own life. Really? Maybe money's the authority over my life. Entertainment's the authority. My job, success is the authority over my... Really, are you going to recognize Jesus' authority? And you say, well, how do I know if I'm recognizing that? Here, 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 here. Look at your priorities. Priority always shows authority. The priorities we keep shows the authorities we're trying to submit under. Always. Does your life reflect 
an authority that is recognized by you for Jesus Christ alone. My fear is this. If you've been around the church for a long time or you've been coming to Easter and Christmas services for a long time, um, my fear is familiarity for you with this. I know Jesus. I know how to talk Christianese. I can say the right things. But do the priorities of your life reflect a recognition of Christ's authority? I wonder how many people think they're saved and will get to heaven and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. But I said all the right things. I even came to church on Christmas and Easter. I never knew you. This is what we're confronted with. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and displayed his authority over all. And through that, here's the thing, he fulfilled his promise, salvation for all. Look at verses five to seven, and as we look at this section, we're confronted with this question. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Will I surrender to him? It's one thing to recognize, yeah, Jesus, you have authority, but am I surrendering to him? Look at verse five to seven. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. See, after rolling away the stone and seeing how the women were terrified at what was happening, the angel tells them, he says, do not be afraid because he knew they were there to seek Jesus. When we seek Jesus, there is no fear There is no fear in love. Jesus Christ himself, perfect love casts out fear. I know you seek Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. We live in a world that is afraid of anything and everything. And yet when we seek Jesus, we do not have to be afraid because he's the authority. He's the truth. You seek Jesus, and then he tells them the greatest news ever, that Jesus was no longer there, but he was risen. You say, well, wait a sec, so Jesus was asleep, because there's all these conspiracy theories throughout history of Jesus wasn't really dead. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out from exhaustion, and so they they buried him all. I mean, you see this all the time. There's all these, well, he didn't really die. He just, no, 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 no. Let's look at what it means that he was risen. He's not talking about Jesus just decided to give a yawn and wake up. The Greek there means he was roused from death, not an afternoon snooze. He was roused from death itself. And he promised he would do this when he said to his disciples earlier in Matthew 20, 18 to 19, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus promised he would rise again. He says this, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. So the disciples are leaving Galilee, going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's another name Jesus called himself, will be, there's the promise, I will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will, another one, condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And here's another promise. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus predicted his own death. He predicted his own resurrection and he predicted how he was going to die. Hey, 
Eyes up here. Who else can say that other than one who has all authority over all things? And then in verse 6, to make this clear to them that Jesus was raised from the dead, the angel invites them, I love this invitation to these two scared women. He invites them, he says, loved ones, come and see where Christ had been lying in the tomb. Come and see. And with this, right here, with that statement, we realize the reason the angel moved the stone in the first place. Hey, hey, just to... to, kibosh any question of this the angel didn't move the stone to get Jesus out he moved the stone to let the witnesses in he was already gone and now he says come and see for yourself that's awesome that is awesome He moves it to let them in. He wanted to have them see it for themselves, how Christ's word had been fulfilled. And then in verse seven, he gives them the command from God to go and tell. So he says, come and see. And now he's like, go and tell. I love that. Because when you encounter Jesus, it's like, I gotta tell. Come and see. And then go and tell the rest of the disciples that Jesus has risen. And then he finishes with an interesting statement in verse seven. He says this. See, last sentence, I have told you. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? The Greek for that term means this. I have brought this to a close. Any argument that has against it has now been laid to rest. This case is closed. Hey, parents, you ever do that? See, I have told you. Just try that with your kids. You might need a little explanation beyond that. But this angel sure doesn't. I have told you, case dismissed. I've done my job, now go and tell them his promise is fulfilled. And how did he fulfill it? We see two ways right here. Look at verse five. Jesus fulfills his promise through his death, the penalty for sin paid. Verse five, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The word crucified there means that want to fix one with stakes or to destroy It is the most gruesome death a person could ever have where the Roman army, they knew how to kill people. As I said, they were ruthless. They knew how to kill people in as long as it took with as much pain as they could. And so it's where they would literally nail a criminal to a wooden cross and hang him up on it until he died. And this was after scourging him and ripping his flesh open and his face. And they would literally do this again and again and again until they hung that criminal up and he died. And for Jesus Christ, historically proven, he he was on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. He hung there and then he died of asphyxiation. The truth is this. Jesus fulfilled his promise of salvation through his death. Why? Because he came to earth as fully God and fully man. He's not just, hey, there's rumors out there like Jesus was just a man. Jesus was just a a moral teacher. Jesus is the highest of angels. Jesus was a man who then, he was just a regular guy and then he had the power of God. No, no, no. He was fully God and he was fully man. Lived a perfect life without any sin. 
and willingly out of his love for us took the punishment we deserved and paid the penalty for all our sin, past, present, and future that separates us from a holy God and we can never pay on our own. And if we do not surrender our lives to Jesus Christ alone as our Savior, it will lead to our death apart from him in hell because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we could sum up Easter, we'd say it this way. Ready? Jesus in my place. I don't know where you're at right now, but you have to know you have a God that loves you and sent his son to die for you. And you cannot earn this grace. You cannot earn this salvation through your works. You can't earn it through your moral behavior. If I just live a good enough life, if I just keep all the rules, if I just, you cannot earn this because you do not deserve it. And our sin, your sin and mine, without Jesus Christ, separates us from God. He is a holy God. And there is no way we can get to him but through Christ. So Jesus' promise is fulfilled through his death. The penalty for sin is paid, but he also fulfilled his promise through his resurrection. Sin is defeated. Look at six and seven. He is not here for he has risen. There it is, resurrected. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, end of story, I have told you. After having the sins of the world poured out on him and the wrath of God poured out on him that we deserve, Jesus Christ died and then rose again three days later, loved ones. His resurrection ensured, here's what the resurrection ensures, complete victory over sin was a certainty and that even the greatest impact of sin itself that there is, death, was defeated. This is why we celebrate This is why we say, oh, death, where is your sting? This is why we sing death was arrested, because the resurrection of Jesus confirmed it. His power defeated sin and death for all time, and it guaranteed that salvation was found in Christ alone, and that those who live with the power of Christ, be encouraged, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here and you surrendered your life to him, listen to this, be encouraged. Those who live with the power of Christ in them are no longer slaves to sin. And you and I will live in victory over it, both in this life and eternally in the life to come when we are completely removed from the presence of sin. Awesome. That's the hope of the resurrection. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus paid it All, all the other religions in this world say this, do, 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 earn, earn, strive. Jesus says one word, ready? Done. I've told you so. Done. The question is, will you receive him? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57 says this, death is now swallowed up in victory. That's great news. Oh, death, hey, where's your sting? Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Greatest penalty of sin, death itself. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, not through our efforts, not through our striving, 
through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. This was the good news that they were called to go and share. And the same good news you and I are called to share today. Christ's promise was fulfilled. Salvation was now available to all who believed in him and surrendered to him as Lord. And here's the great news. This invitation is still offered today. So question, what are you seeking salvation in and putting your hope in to deliver you? What will happen after you die? I guarantee on your deathbed, you're not gonna be thinking about your stocks. Say, what next? What happens now? You're not gonna be thinking about your promotion. I guarantee it. What are you seeking salvation? And some things that come to mind that this world promotes are this. Ourselves. I'll just seek it in myself. If I work really hard, I'm gonna depend on myself. I'm gonna seek it in my bank account. I'm gonna seek it in my job status. I'm gonna seek it with my health. I'm gonna seek it in my relationships. I'm gonna seek it through my possessions. If I just have enough stuff, I'll be satisfied. I'll be good. Loved one, we didn't bring anything into this world. We can't take anything with us. I'm gonna put my hope, I'm gonna surrender to other religions that claim, yeah, there's Jesus, part of those things, but he was just a prophet. He wasn't the savior. I'm gonna put my hope in those things. You sure you wanna go there? There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And I, want, I just want to encourage you, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Wherever you came from today, God sees you right where you're at. He just sees you. And he's like, bring your skepticism to me. Bring it. Bring your pain to me. Bring your sorrow to me. Bring your hurt to me. Bring your brokenness to me. You say, well, I can't go to God. I'm engaged in all this sin. I've turned. He says, I see that. But guess what? My blood covers that. Will you come to me and receive the free gift of salvation and let me restore you and heal you to show my glory through you? That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 3, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You're not here at this service because your friend dragged you. You're here because the one who has all authority ordained it that you be here. And today he says, when you hear my voice, do not harden my heart in your pain. Do not harden your heart in your skepticism. Bring it, come and see. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on his name. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and his power has been displayed, he has authority over all and his promise has been fulfilled. Salvation for all. And through that promise being fulfilled, our last point today is this, his identity has been revealed. We must worship him in all. The question that we leave with today is this, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Will I respond to him in worship. Look at 8 to 10. So they, the women, the two Marys, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, I love this, he's on the road, he says, hey, greetings, ladies. Can you imagine what you're like in that moment if you're one of the Marys? You're just like, 
Greetings. Love it. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, again, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. See once, I love, so tender. So tender our Savior is. Once the women see that Christ has risen and they hear the command of the angel to go and tell his disciples, they quickly leave for Galilee in fear. The, the Greek word there for fear is awe. They're in awe, yeah, no kidding. And great joy. Great means megos, joy. When's the last time you woke up with megos joy? Hey, guess what? If you're in Jesus Christ, that honestly can be an everyday reality. Why? Because your joy is not based on your circumstances. Your joy is not based on how you feel. Your joy is not based on what happened to you in this world, but only what Christ has done for you. It's really hard to have a bad day and be grumpy when you remember that Christ has called you and chosen you and saved you. I love that. Of course there's joy. Joy means the grace of God received, realized. And as they're running, Jesus greets them on the road and he tells them, he says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. How many people in this room right now is Jesus saying to you, do not be afraid. You can stop running. Stop running from me. Don't be afraid. I have authority. I fulfilled my promise. I am the Messiah. You can put your guessing aside. Do not be afraid. But keep going to Galilee to tell his followers they will see him there shortly. First, First Corinthians 15, 6 says there were over 500 people when he chose to reveal himself there. And look at their response in verse 9. They meet him on the road and they immediately recognize him. Here it is, for who he is is the Messiah. No more doubts, no more fears, no more questioning. They recognize him. He's not the teacher. He's not just the prophet. He's not the highest of angels. He's not just a man. He is the Lord over all. And how do they respond? Oh, I love this. By taking hold of his feet and worshiping him. And you know, that posture of taking hold of one's feet, it's a posture of reverence of a servant to a king. They see him for who he is the risen king, the king of kings, the Messiah, and showing honor, reverence, and adoration to him. Notice, notice what's beautiful here. There's another theory that says Jesus Christ was just a ghost. They just saw a ghost. They're having a, his disciples were undergoing hallucinations. Then how can they grab his feet? Reverence, adoration, and notice their reaction. Their fear was replaced with faith. Their blindness was replaced with sight. Their brokenness was healed in restoration. Their doubt and despair was turned to hope. Their anxiety was turned to peace. And Jesus is still ready to do this today. But the question is this. How will you respond to the king? How will you respond to Jesus today? In reverence or rejection? There's no middle ground. Reverence as the Messiah, the king, the one who has authority, who fulfilled his promise, the only savior, or rejection again. 
And as we enter into this last part, I'm going to get us to stand, please. Jesus stands ready to receive you. And he has risen from the dead. His power and authority has been displayed. His promise of salvation has been fulfilled. And his identity has been revealed. The King of Kings and the Messiah. And just as these two women fell to their faces in worship of him in his presence, all those who've surrendered their lives to him as their Lord and Savior will join, will join these two women very soon. And the thousands upon thousands of angels in his presence at his heavenly throne when he comes back for his people. And we are now the closest we've ever been in human history to the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back very soon. And all who have received him will shout with a loud voice for endless days. We're going to say this together. Here it is right here. Let's say it together. Revelation 5, 12 to 14. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, that is what we will be echoing for eternity. To him who sits on the throne, the one with all authority, the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the identity, the king, the Messiah, our only hope, Jesus Christ, forever reigning. We will declare that for all of those who have surrendered their lives to you, we will do that for eternity. And so I pray right now that as we respond to you, as we respond to you in worship, God, this would be our declaration until we do that in your presence very soon. That we would, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. For endless days, we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our God. I pray that would be the anthem of this church, God, not just words on a screen, but a relentless reality in our hearts, God, to declare that again and again and again. May we be in awe of the resurrection, refreshed in its truth today. And for those here who have never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, say, God, I need you. I see it. Open my eyes to see the truth. I want you. Forgive me of my sin. I confess you alone, oh God as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to worship you. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.